What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Ben Prentice. Ben is the co-creator of the website WTFHappenedIn1971.com. So if you're not familiar with this website, it's very simple, uh, but it's very powerful. It's a one-pager of just a number of different charts showcasing the changes that occurred on many different metrics from you know, crime rates to money supply growth and many, many other things um, that took place in 1971. Uh, and of course, it begs the, the viewer or the visitor to ask, what the fuck happened in 1971? And uh, as Bitcoiners, we know what happened in 1971. Um, this is when the gold window was, was closed um, entirely. But it's a great resource for sending the people that maybe are just beginning on this journey of, of learning about money, learning about the monetary system, and learning about monetary history. And uh, so I thought it would be cool just to get Ben on and, uh, as usual, uh, have a chat with him, talk a little bit about the project, you know, the website, the motivations behind it, what the response has been like, and then, of course, also just uh, have a jam session about Bitcoin. So that's it. Hope you enjoy. Let's do it. Yeah, man. So uh, if you're ready to crack into it, why don't you just tell me kind of, uh, you know, your Bitcoin story, how you got involved and what kind of you see your role as in contributing to the space right now? Are we are we doing this pre-recording or? No, we're, we're live, buddy. Oh, we're live. <laughs> um, thanks. Uh, so I, I, I've known about Bitcoin for a really long time. Um, and I think there are a lot of people today that, that, that know, you know, that, that think they know about it. They, they, they've heard about it. They've seen it on TV. They've heard people talk about it. They might even have a positive or, or, a, or a negative or, or a very neutral stance. Um, and I, I kind of had a, a, a neutral stance. I, I learned a little bit about it, like, you know, 2011, 2012, um, on Slashdot, and I I looked at it, and I didn't, you know, obviously I didn't grok it, I understood that it was this money that lived on the internet or something like that, and, you know, it was decentralized, and I understood a little bit about the tech as well, but, I, you know, I just, I said, I don't, I don't really think that's going to work, and, right. uh, you know, it, it, it kind of kept working for the next few years, and I think somewhere around 2014, it was still doing things and there were people who were like buying drugs on the internet and stuff. And I was like, maybe I should take another look at this. Um, and then I understood it as, so, so my understanding kind of started to evolve and I understood it as anonymous money, money that was completely anonymous on the internet. And that made sense too. And I was like, Oh, maybe I should get some, I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll buy some weed or something on the internet. And I tried to get some and they asked for your, you know, your license, your KYC and stuff. And I was like, well, this isn't anonymous. So I, I, I closed up the Mt. Gox window and um, kind of I put it in the back of my head that I'd find one of these ATMs someday. And I, I, I kind of fell off of it until 2017 when I was like, wow, this is not only still a thing, but it seems to be growing in some way. And I don't feel like I understand what it is. And the more I learned about it, uh, the, the deeper and deeper I fell down this rabbit hole. And uh, now I'm here talking with you. You know what <laughs> Yeah, and so do you, you you are the creator, co-creator of the website WTF happened in 1971, right? Yes, so this is, um, I, uh, you know, in my rabbit hole searches, um, one of the things that we were looking at, or I was looking at personally a lot was, um, you know, what happened in 1929, um, and one of the places I was doing a little bit of research on, like, what happened there, um, 
was Wikipedia, and I found a few charts there that just really surprised me. And I, I got kind of addicted to finding these charts about um, um, about monetary history um, because I think, you know, data over time t- starts to tell a little bit of a story, and it's, it's easier for people to understand. It was I was using it so I could understand, you know, what the hell happened, you know, since 1929 even really. Yeah. But then I started finding all this stuff when the break of when the break of Bretton Woods happened when our money would, was put into pure fiat, I started finding all these charts right around 1971 that just seemed so crazy um, that all of them just go nuts starting right after 1971. Like, uh, did, you know, if you look back in, you know, um, decades or, or, or even centuries of, of normality, that, that that normality just like disappears and they all like break, like something fundamental broke. And I was joking with Colin from the Bitcoin echo chamber, um, heavily armed clown, and he's like, why don't we just like make this a meme? Like, what the what the fuck happened in 1971? And uh, and I was like, that's a good idea. And I, I had already at this point amassed like a whole bunch of charts because sometimes when I'm arguing with people on the internet, I'm like, oh yeah, well here's the chart. Like, look, you, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And uh, I, I think it's actually really interesting because we don't write we, the, the website's very bare, right? We just wrote what what the WTF happened in 1971, and we just put a whole bunch of charts on there, and we let the reader draw their own conclusion. We're not necessarily trying to explain anything we're just showing here's a bunch of data what what's going on right yeah i mean it's it's such a i mean a lot of us that are in the space and you know gold bugs prior to to bitcoiners for those of us who fall into that category you know that that's a a, those are dates rather that that you know we've been obviously very aware of and noted and something that we focus on and try to explain to people, you know, when we're, when we're talking about the merits of these types of investments, different forms of money, whether they be gold or Bitcoin or whatever. But I, I'd love the positioning of, of the website, not only because it's kind of in, you know, you know, modern colloquial language like WTF and, but it, you know, it kind of <laughs> makes you want to like, it, it literally seeds your brain with the question, like, what the fuck did happen in 1971? Yeah. Like, why is that a noteworthy yeah. date? It, it, it implies that it is a noteworthy date. And uh, I, do, I love the positioning of it. And then it's super simple, right? You just, basically, it's just, I'm looking at it now. It's just a bunch of charts. But you, you're right, and it's, it's impossible to ignore. And I think what's great about the website is you go there, right? Maybe someone introduces it to you, or you, you happen upon it. And you look at it, and you look at all these charts, and you just see, like enormous divergence from the trend at, at 1971 and yeah. I think more than anything because this the website doesn't tell you anything other than something changed and it you know it obviously shows some <laughs> of the metrics on which uh, the change was measured but it inspires you to ask yourself like you know why and what's the implications of that is, is there some kind of fundamental change that happened right does it have implications right and so what's yeah. kind of been the the First of all, when did the site go up, and what's been the feedback uh, from it, or on it, rather? Oh, yeah, we've only had the site up for two or three months. And, oh, really? Uh, we, yeah, and we've already seen a few people kind of referencing it. I've heard it drop briefly in a pod here and there. Murad, um, Murad Mahmoudov, yep. was doing a presentation recently at Baltic Honey Budger, and he referenced the chart and said, I, I encourage you all to go look at these charts and see what happened here. He, he, he referenced the website. So, so far, the feedback's been good. We haven't really been shilling it that much. But when, you know, when somebody, somebody memes it and says, WTF happened, we always try to repeat it and stuff. But, 
uh, I think it's still nascent. You know, we're, we don't like to uh, over-market things and we like to let them develop organically. And I think that's slowly happening. Sure. I, I feel like there's, you know, I don't know what your approach is in terms of kind of trying to keep it as, you know, what level of concise you're looking for. But uh, I feel like there's probably a lot, now that I've seen this, you know, I feel like there's probably a lot of other charts and data out there that may, you know, that because one of yours, I think, is one of the ones included here is the divorce rate, right? Um, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. It's and divorce so, rate by, by age uh, bucket. Yeah. And I, I do want to break into that, but I got to imagine there's lots of other metrics out there. You know, I can't, I mean, whatever, I think, can't think of any off the top of my head, but, you know, like be, behavior change or like large-scale social change that that can be represented graphically from 1971? Like, what was the crime rate like? And what was the drug use rate like? And what was the, I don't know, consumer packaged goods, you know? You know, like, maybe there's other yeah. m- other interesting charts that tell, that continue to tell the story in a, in a broader capacity. Right, and I, and I don't think we're necessarily trying to say, oh, it was the break from the gold standard that caused the divorce rate to go up. But we're also not not saying <laughs> and And we're also constantly looking for charts and and we think i believe as bitcoiners um, we're we're generally in consensus that because the underlying system of money is so uh, fundamentally distorting the way that you know markets assign value to things and 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 people determine how to use those things within that market um that that, that literally it's being distorted by the the, you know the money supply and 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 by you know open market operations and um inflation itself that it has a lot of second order effects. And, and one of the things I often talk about is that, you know, today it's quite clear that despite, you know, massive progress, you know, technologically speaking, and, and, and really even if you look at you know, health and, and worldwide poverty, and, and th- that we have actually progressed in, in some ways empirically as a, as a society. Mm-hmm. And yet if we look at even like our, um, my own country, uh, the United States, that, uh, this is the quote, quote unquote, richest country in the world, quote unquote, power, most powerful country in the world. And there's some very, very fundamental, large problems that seem to be kind of getting worse. And for what I what I describe the process of, of us trying to fix these problems is us running around trying to put out fires, um, us putting Band-Aid solutions on something that is is broken because of the fundamental underlying system of money that that underlies all exchange. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that these um, these attempts to go fix these things are, are almost fruitless. You're, you're, you're going around and putting on a Band-Aid at best, but you, you haven't fixed the underlying infection. And, you know, when you, when you post something like a divorce rate prevalence by age um, bucket that, you know, I had, I had somebody um, say, hey, well, you know, that was the year that, um, that birth control became, you know, widely available or something. And I said, you know, that, that might be it. I, I'm not sure. I'm not trying to say this is just because of the break in the gold standard. But when you when you look at it with the incarceration rate and, you know, the inflation rate and the um, wealth disparity, um, it, it starts to paint a different story, I think. And it starts to paint a, a, a very uh, big story. And a lot of a lot of fundamental changes happened in that day, I think. Totally. That's my determination. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with everything you just said. And I, I totally agree that we're in this time, and it's often cited, right? Everyone always says, you know, life is as easy and as comfortable and as prosperous as it's ever been. But, you know, I think we all also simultaneously look out on the world and see, like, 
Well, sure. And, and, you know, part of it is definitely our mindset and how what we focus on and the, with the way that the mainstream news media works and that, you know, um, you know, the fact that you know, you're always kind of shown the worst elements of, of what's going on around the world. But that notwithstanding, it does seem like um, simultaneous to, you know, this prosperity and comfort that we're uniquely enjoying at this you know, kind of frontier of, of time and history. Um, there does seem to be a lot of uh, tumultuous, you know, stuff going on, a lot of discontent, a lot of uh, division and that kind of stuff. And I, I totally agree. You know, I, I feel like all efforts to it's, it's just, you know, it's like whack-a-mole. You know, these things are popping up and you're hitting it as they pop up rather than than addressing the issue at the, the most fundamental level, which, in my opinion, it sounds like it's yours as well, is the type and form and quality of money that a, a society or a civilization uses to basically organize, you know, or, or that's the, the fundamental organizing mechanism of, of society. And, um, you know, today, I, I've said this before on the podcast, but, you know, the, the, a lot of the people, activists and social justice warriors and protesters today, you know, I feel like more, most of the time I think they're probably coming from a good place, albeit maybe they're, you know, maybe they could be further, better informed and maybe they could do with, you know, removing some emotion from it. But I think they're probably coming from a good place. But I think they would all be better served if they devoted their attention, as you were just saying, to root cause rather than, you know, the symptom. You know, rather than trying to put a Band-Aid on it, go for the root cause. And, you know, I think us as Bitcoiners probably unanimously agree that the root cause is the money. And, uh, you know, why the, the website is so fascinating is because it's really illustrating that very clearly. It's not even drawing any conclusions, which is the most beautiful thing about it, because that means it can't be argued with, right? It's not like you guys are out there making a case. It's like, look, here's some data. What do you think it indicates, you know? Yeah. Um, and we're, we're almost unapproachable from that because we haven't really <laughs> answered the question. But um, I think one of the interesting things you said there is that you, you, you said that in general, it seems like we're more prosperous. And I'm hesitant to say that, but you use the word comfort. And I think that's super fascinating because in, in many ways that our, our life is much more comfortable than even, you know, like if we look 100, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or you know, we have washing machines and, and all of these devices that automate tasks for us that, you know, increase our productivities as, as humans, you know, just even in our day-to-day -day lives, not even in our jobs, that it, it, it makes doing simple things much, um, much more efficient. But what the, the word comfort also uh, implies that you have comfort about the future. And I think that's one of the things that we're missing. So we look around and we say, it's very affordable to, to get these items like washing machines and you know, dishwashers and all these microwaves that, that make our lives easier. Um, but it's the comfort about the future that, that we've actually, I think, regressed on that because we don't have a way to store value, um, that, that we are forced to gamble in the future, um, just to preserve our wealth, that it causes an, an, an extreme discomfort that it's much less palpable, less, much less tangible to people. So then now something's wrong, but they don't really know what it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one, one can argue that. Any, you know, any place you store your money is a form of speculation, right? Like if you store your, your money in the U.S. dollar, um, then that's a form of speculation. Or if you stored your money in gold in the past, that's speculation that, that gold is going to continue to be good money. And, hey, by the way, it's done that for 5,000 years. But um, And we're, you know, obviously we're as Bitcoiners are speculating that Bitcoin will be a better store of value and a, a better money in the future. And that 
right now it's 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 in its price discovery phase of some kind but mm-hmm. i th- i think when a mo- when a society converges on a, a money that isn't debased that we um we we have a way to preserve our value and we have a way to to be comfortable about the future mm-hmm. and that the risk associated with that is is uh, is minimal and that the the risk that is entailed in investing is it is an understood risk that isn't required just to preserve the value that we have investment can still happen under sound money and of course it would but it, that's that's separate from just being able to store value and I, I i don't know i feel like people have a little issue with this and and maybe i'm not articulating super well but i i think that our our businesses and our governments and our people everybody has to now take the money that they've earned you know and, and Monsieur Mahmoudov talks about this as time um, that we we store our our work our time work in our money and it becomes time money. Yep. And recently, Robert Breedlove um, elucidated uh, this phrase that just keeps rolling through my head that the this form of money we have is a institutionalized system of time theft and it's a scourge on our society. Mm-hmm. That the the time work that we put in and store in our time money is slowly debased away from us so that. Now, if we want to preserve wealth for the future, we're required to take on all this, uh, um, I'd say, undue risk that we have to, you know, gamble in the stock market or in, in commodities and other things. Uh, I, th- I think that's that's difficult and undue pressure on, on you know, businesses and, and, and individuals. Absolutely. In my abso- absolutely. And I think you, you just used the, the word that was coming to my head. And it's pressure, right? Like if, if you have a project, mm-hmm. you have a project to complete and, you know, it's a shit ton of work and you got an hour to do it or by the end of the day or whatever, basically the amount of work exceeds the amount of time you have to, to complete it, then it's going to cause that sense of pressure, anxiety, you know, and, and all the kind of behavioral, um, you know, flares or, be, you know, all the different behaviors that might emerge from someone who's in a more anxious state. And I think you, it's a pretty easy extrapolation to, to, to the analogy that you just referenced that Robert made in that, you know, if basically the, the way in which they're, they're managing the money, i.e. they're stealing the time, it's like they're putting everybody behind the eight ball and not even consciously, right? Like as this, this plays out, it's fairly complex, so it plays out in a lot of different ways. But, you know, as a, as a civilization, basically, it's almost like, you know, because of the way that people's time is is kind of covertly being robbed, they're they're constantly being like pressured with having their time, you know, having their time slip through their hands, right? And so that you know, the the pressure and anxiety that causes manifests in you know, God knows how many different ways, but certainly none of them, I would, or very few of them are probably positive. And that's, you know, reflected in some of the, the graphs that you've put on the site, and, and I'm sure many more. You know, but these, these effects are so insidious that, I mean, obviously, for, most, for 99% of people, I'm sure they're not, you know, consciously aware of how the quality of the money that, you know, the society uses and that which they are chasing through, you know, committing their labor or time to a given effort has, you know, seemingly direct and profound impacts on on their behavior and how they feel and how they act and how they even perceive things. Yeah. And I think that we see that a lot today, although the people like you say, have access to um, tools and, and, and things that make our lives so much more comfortable than a hundred years ago that we're seeing a lot of 
strife in a way. We're seeing a lot of, of, of people that, you know, work hard and are, are contributing to society, but I, I don't feel like, and I don't think they feel like they're getting, you know, what, what is, what is due to them. And, and I, I'm hesitant to use that term because, right. you know, there's a lot of people, young people and, and maybe older people today too, that, that feel they're due a lot. Right. I, I'm actually not invalidating that feeling. Um, I, I'm, I would certainly push back against, you know, the, the, the more social socialist kind of leaning politicians today that are saying that they have a way to solve that problem. But um, if, if you, if you really look at the, the, the wealth inequality data, we're at kind of all time highs. Um, and, I'm not somebody who who says that there should be an equality of outcome. No, no, no far from it. But what is undeniable is that um, it, it appears that it, it's kind of been tipped a little bit. And you know, this is like what we keep talking about, where there's a fundamental issue, and 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 so the band-aid solution in this case, right? Because I keep talking about it, we're always trying to run around and put out the fire. The put out the fire is well, let's let's really heavily tax all the wealth people and, and give some of it to the the poorer people, and. To be honest with you, that might be a solution that might be necessary, and, and this, you've seen this pendulum swing back and forth throughout history, and that that the government says, "Oh, you know what? It's gotten a little too messed up. Let's let's try to you know give some tax breaks to the poorer folks or something like that to try to try to get things back in line." But but the underlying system, the the fundamentals are why it's gotten like that in right. the first place. And, you know, if you look in 1929, it was right about where it is now today, and that's <laughs> when the right after the Federal Reserve, you know the the monetary history that I understand, it's a very, you know, a, a too long didn't read, it's very brief. It's since 1913 has established the Federal Reserve. And then just after that, um, in 1929, basically after they, they got enough time to have any effect on anything, um, the worst crash in financial, modern financial history happened. Mm -hmm. So I, I attribute that directly. You know, you, you were talking about the implications of what the WTF happened in 1971. Uh, I, I certainly do have conclusions I've drawn. Um, I haven't made them on the website, but one of the, one, the ones that I've made is that right after you establish the, the, the central bank of the United States, we well, get one of the worst crashes in history, and you got um, a lot of government programs that come in and swoop in to defend and, and, and fix all the problems, right? And uh, you should you should hear Colin talk about all the stuff they did in 1933, um, like like burning food supplies to to increase the price. Um, so that farmers wouldn't go out of business and stuff. Uh, just, just massively difficult to believe things that that are that are real that that happened in history mm -hmm. because of that. Um, and I think in 1971, um, the they started targeting nominally two percent inflation, and 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 that is trying to keep essentially the prices of the the CPI basket items the same, right? And what happens is that you know, deflationary technology means that as we are getting better at producing things, costs go down. This is very simple for people to understand. Anybody who's you know worked in any kind of businesses, the whole goal is to you know do the same quality at a lower cost mm -hmm. or uh, do this higher quality at the same cost, right? But the they have been nominally targeting these two percent um, inflation numbers, and and that 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 those gains that society should be should be um, relishing in from the increased uh, the the increased uh, efficiencies that's being robbed away from us. So the progress that we should have seen over the last four decades is, is, has been, you know, pulled out from under our feet. And I think 
I think that's very clear when when you when you approach it this way. Um, it, it doesn't two percent inflation doesn't sound that bad, um, but it's also compounded annually every two years or every year, and it's also it, this this piece of the fact that it's nominally targeted, no matter how fast, no matter how quickly we get better at doing things, that that's still going to be targeted two percent nominally. Mm-hmm. That two percent number is kind of arbitrary because it take it doesn't take into effect how quickly we're getting better at stuff. And if you if you think about Moore's law and the, and the way that technology isn't getting better, um, it, it it's outpacing that inflation because it's so fast. Uh, but it, it's almost unknowable how much how much um, has been has, has been robbed away from our society. I think. Right. How how, how much it's kind of product, yeah? How much productivity gains were not you know realized or or distributed you know to to society? I think is that kind of what right. you're getting at. Yes, and while at the same time, if you look at the wealth inequality numbers over time, uh, in that same period of time, they've just skyrocketed. They've gone way up. You right. know? There was a period of stability in that. There was some kind of balance, and it seems that's been gone as well. Right, and that value just accrues to the people closest to the spigot and you know, kind of screws everybody yep, can... further down the line. You know, you, you said something interesting that I think is very relevant for the times today, and you, know, you, you referenced kind of despite the fact that, you know, we have greater uh, comforts and conveniences than ever before, obviously there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of unrest. And, you know, I think you used the example of young people kind of saying that they, that they deserve more or they want more. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's, there's, because of the dynamic actually that you just described, that's, you know, if, if we take that as being tr- uh, accurate, then their assertion would be true. Like they, they have been withheld in this, in, the, in, this, in this case, let's say productivity and the gains to be derived from that. They, you know, they've been, those have been withheld from them. So in, in that case, they're correct. Um, but also it's like, how do you know? There's only one way to know what you deserve, right? And in an in a, in a, in a economic system that I think pervades the world over today, it's so perverse now that, Nobody can know like what they they should be getting, what the what the distribution of wealth should be, what the what the income gap or the level of inequality, what it should be, because it's simply up to everybody's opinions and their wants and, and what they say they want and what they're what they're worth. Because we've removed the market dynamics that allow the market to effectively value everybody as actors in it, i.e., we've we've taken we've we're not operating with a sound money, and we're operating with a large degree of of state intervention, and those two things have just perverted the way that the market values everything that goes on in the market. Now, some things are affected more than others, right. of course, but if we don't have those two things, then of course there's always going to be people thinking that they they didn't get enough or that they deserve more. And there's, and there's going to be a good case for that, but they're never going to be able to know what exactly it is they deserve in, in, when there's so many perversions inherent in the market. Yeah, I think that's very well articulated, actually. Like, you know, this distortion of, of market prices, um, you know, the, the market is a beautiful thing where it, it's, it's the aggregation of all of this data that it's not a central computer that's aggregating this data. It's just... The, the fact that I set my price here and oh that was too high and now I lower it and 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 that won't you know that action over and over and over again throughout exactly. you know, the market of, of, of billions of interacting people all across the world 
Um, are you familiar with the it, Milton Friedman and, and the pencil? It's actually not Milton Friedman's thing, but he does. He talks about it, the miracle I, of a pencil and how I, I've and seen, nobody knows how to make a pencil. I've seen it, but re- please remind – I think I have saw him discuss it on a video, but go for it. Yeah, it, it's beautiful because he, he, he says that nobody on earth actually knows how to make a pencil because you know, the wood is taken from the northeast, and in order to get the wood down, you need a saw. Well, and in order to get a saw, you need to actually forge that saw or you need to you know re- refine the iron in, into steel – and then forge that saw. So, I mean, are, are you familiar with how to do that? Probably not. <laughs> and then once you have the saw, then you can go cut down the tree. But then you have to transport it to the factory. And then you need rubber, right? And where the where do the rubber trees come from and all the refining processes to get rubber down from the trees. And then there's a the little metal band around the top, and, and that's refined from ore and then uh, molded into the band and then attached. And then the graphite, and, and I, I love the way that he presents this. He's like, I, I don't even know where graphite comes from. <laughs> so the fact that a pencil is made, and by the way, a pencil only costs, you know, 10 cents or whatever here right. in the West. And right. it's like the fact that we can make that for 10 cents with thousands of people collaborating all over the world is because of the price system in the first place. So right. if, if the argument that, you know, you and I are making right now today is that prices are distorted, um, that it, it screws up that whole process. Yeah. And it's to me, it's a miracle that we can still make the pencil despite all this. But um, it's just it, the price of it is distorted. And, and, and I love this way that you're saying that the price of ourselves is now distorted. We, we don't know what we're worth and we, we feel like we're worth more. And I think that's really interesting. You're saying that, like, if, if if it's true what I say, then these young people feel like they deserve more. They've figured this out without looking at the website. They've figured out <laughs> something doesn't feel right. I think one of the things that they don't feel right, you know, the fact that you know, housing prices have, have gone, you know, crazy in this country, and the I think the prospects for the for for retirement are just are uh, pretty much unfathomable for a large swath of, of you know United Statesians. I, I have a very U.S. centric view, yeah, uh, so I apologize. I actually allegedly it's you know. The, the world's the easiest place to figure it out. And, you know, I've been working on my hard my whole life, and I don't even really think there's a way that I can retire as of right now. <laughs> I'm going to keep working for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things that actually Robert Breedlove said on this um, as well is that um, it's the because there's this institutionalized system of time theft that we ha- have to work longer and longer and longer just, just to be able to do something like retire. And, and by the way, um, inflation hits fixed income people the hardest yeah. because they're not constantly getting a new supply of higher, you know, lower valued money at a, at a higher um, nominal amount, right? Right, which is so usually the, to, the, you, the lower income earners, which exacerbates the inequality that you were referencing earlier, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That, that um, if you're if you're saving for a 20, 30 year retirement, well, you now you have to do a two percent compounded annual inflation. Um, calculation on that and you have to find a way to preserve it so you have to put it into the bond market and the stock market and all this stuff just to be able to preserve your wealth you're not trying to take on risk you're just trying to preserve the value that you've, you've given to society and that slowly evaporates over time yeah. and gets handed to contillion effect people right mm-hmm. and the, the kicker here and look i mean <laughs> I, I i realize that 
this is a lot for any individual to take on. I mean, we're all on our individual journeys of how best to navigate this life, figure it out, have the best life we can, and, you know, enjoy the company of the people we love, that, that, that whole thing. But, you know, there, there are things afoot much bigger than ourselves. And, you know, some people are going are gonna to get, or seemingly a lot of people these days, a lot of young people are, are, are getting really wrapped up in, in, I guess, the context of their situation. And again, like I said before, I mean, partially I don't blame them. And then also partially I do. But we seem to be moving towards this thing where, you know, the irony is that, in my opinion, what we need is, and I think, you know, most Bitcoiners would probably agree with this, is we need freer markets and sounder money. And we have most of the disenfranchised people around the world today looking for more government intervention and, you know, more reckless spending. And so even though it's, you know, back to your Band-Aid analogy, right? Like it seems like it'll fix the problem, it'll, it'll ease some of the tension, but, you know, we're, the, the, the momentum seems to be that people want to take the action that's going to make this issue worse. Yes, and I think that's because of the lack of understanding of, of how to fix the fundamental issue, right? right. You know, take, taking money from a bunch of rich people and give it to the poor people would probably temporarily solve some of the problems in the United States, but it wouldn't fix the underlying problem that made it happen, that, that caused it that way in the first place. Right. It, it's like a, it, it's like a constantly trying to put out this this fire that keeps starting. In, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree with that. And then the, of course, then we have Bitcoin, right? And um, a, a, in a lot of the conversations I've had on this podcast and 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 privately in my in my personal life, you know, I mean, maybe I say this too much, but I I think it's hard as a young person, especially, not to look out on the world and look for the. There are elements of me that was always like motivated, excited, adventurous, optimistic. You know, we all deal with these kind of like dualistic sort of uh, you know sides within ourselves, and it you know it is largely. A matter of focus, which one you you give energy energy to and engage in. But like I said a few seconds ago, like you you can't entirely discount the context of the times in which you're in. You know the the you know the kind of larger structures that you're operating within. And I think for for a lot of people, you know, there was a very pervasive, very uh, strongly felt hopelessness. And I get the sense that people that are coming to Bitcoin are recognizing or whatever way they get into it, ultimately they gain a tremendous amount of hope because they realize what the problem was as we were just articulating and obviously, you know, much more, but to sum it up kind of that way. And then they, then they begin to realize that this thing, Bitcoin seems to be a hell of a good chance or at the very least the best chance we have at, you know, countering that's that circumstance, that situation, a tool to, Un, you know, con- well, basically to construct, you know, a, a newer system that doesn't have those inherent faults. And, uh, you know, our assumptions are uh, and we, you know, we look at periods in the past to try to confirm this. And, you know, this great debate about how all this plays out. Some are more optimistic uh, and exuberant <laughs> and hyperbolic than others. But we, we like to imagine how uh, society would be and how our individual lives would be if we could establish a system based on a money and an, and as a result markets on something like Bitcoin. And yeah. that's, that's I think, uh, pro- providing so, a, a, a genuine hope to a lot of people. And so, you know, I do this because I love having these conversations. That's, that's how I got started. But I'm starting to, 
kind of realized like it's probably going to be important for more people to be privy to these sorts of discussions. And, you know, I, I, I perhaps evangelize too often and then sometimes I got to, you know, you know, rein myself in and, and not be the, the, the crazy like gung-ho Bitcoiner. But, you know, I think the, the more these conversations can out, get out there, the more the websites like the one you've done and the books that are written in the space and all the really cool activity actually that's really seemed to ramp up over the last 12 months can get out there. I mean, I think education is, is, is one of our, our best shots at, at getting this way of thinking into, into, uh, into more people's heads. Yeah. It, I, I think Bitcoin is, 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 is kind of difficult to understand, but I think that's because that money is, is difficult to understand because we, we take it for granted in modern society and people don't really think about what it is. And you got, you've probably discussed on your, your podcast before what money is but i i like to you know remind myself every once in a while that and you alluded to this earlier that it it is a method for um, humans to organize right and it, it solves a very important problem in society and I, I think even when you when you talk about it and you read the words you, you don't quite really get it and so you really ponder this a lot but the fact that you know barter barter works so much um that it works but it, it it's not a way to scale society on on the on the level that we've have, have taken society to, which is, sure. you know, billions of people interacting to create pencils together, right? That, that the multi-coincidence of wants, you know, if you're trading your, your fish for, for chicken and the guy doesn't want your fish, you have to go find the, the guy that wants the fish and trade whatever he has for the guy that wants the chicken. And, and it gets very complicated. It's almost, it sounds more like, you know, what we have with the different fiat currencies, you know, oh, you don't want my, my, uh, my Japanese yen, you want U.S. dollars. So I have to switch my Japanese yen to U.S. dollars. And it's like this, um, it's this inefficiency that's introduced into the market that that having a one money right because money's in specific societies at least converge on one money and even if you look globally um, before it was the U.S. dollar was the Great British Pound mm. that the, the the market even though there were all these these different government currencies that the Great British Pound was was the 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 one um, lingua franca it was the one common um, method of exchange and now the same you see with the U.S. dollar that. That this network effect of money is is very important, and it, it is it is money itself that allows our society to scale. And when you learn about the history of money, and what made some good monies and what made some bad monies, uh, it gets you thinking about you know w what is the type of qualities that that would be good in a money. And I think that whole conversation has to happen, and you need to do a little bit of research on on the history of, of different types of monies and what made good ones and what made bad ones. Um, in order to even start looking at Bitcoin and say whether or not it's a good money or a bad money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Seyfedeen's book is good about this. Um, Nick, Nick Zabo's Shelling Out is really good to, to give you an idea of, you know, different cultures and different monies that they use. And today, you know, I've, I've heard Bitcoiners, I think it was a, a Murad originally that said, you know, gold is a, or Bitcoin is a 10x improvement on gold. And I've recently been saying that it's, it's probably more than 10x, right. but what's really interesting right now is that we i think we are still in the early days this this technology is is new on a cosmic scale you know uh, on on a on a cosmic scale or on a on a monetary scale um i i think the the us dollar is is kind of leaving its way from the from the the global reserve currency but that you know that the process of that actually happening take might take a decade or two and, and that's how these things happen it's one of those it's very difficult to see when you're inside it, right? Yeah. 
Um, it's it's one in in retrospect. Oh, like you can see when the Great British Pound flipped to the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. Mm-hmm. I think that the U.S. dollar is on its way out, and um, I've I've been doing a lot of macro, um, trying to understand the macro situation in the world. And one of the things that I think the world really needs is a verifiable uh, asset that that you know nobody has control over the creation of. Because if you look at this euro dollar system, that essentially it's this way that banks outside of the U.S. need to create U.S. dollars so that so that this reserve um, this reserve exchange can happen because right. they, they, they need the U.S. dollars right because of the network effect of this U.S. dollars that the Bitcoin is. is very well suited to this the fact that they need this verifiable thing that nobody can you know screw up because it, it seems like there's a lot of inflation in u.s dollars in the euro dollar system it means that the u.s government isn't even doing that it's just this crazy system of how these banks like create money and uh i i i do think bitcoin is suited for that but that it's not ready on you know on the scale of time that we're at right now sure it, it's it's still being developed and i think one of the hardest things um you know, you were talking about. I try not to be over bullish and over, you know, hyperbolic about it. I do too. I try to be fairly realistic. And I think one of the biggest issues today, um, and I think a lot of people agree, and maybe some people don't, is this idea of custody. And I, I look at some of the smartest people in the space, and you know, one guy is saying, "Oh, all you need to do is buy two laptops um, and completely offline, <laughs> and then create all these seeds, and then destroy both of those laptops, and um, and then you know, and and it, you know." It's, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars later, sure, that's great. If you're a Bitcoin whale, that is, you know, you know, Glacier Protocol and all that stuff. That's probably what you should be doing. But for an average, you know, average guy who's just trying to get into space and you know start DCAing a few, you know, twenty bucks a week or whatever, that that stuff sounds insane to them. And you know, I, I think that that's that's not quite a solved problem yet. And it's not necessarily something that's just going to be a you know a, a magic magic wand waving because we're used to today. We're used to this. Um, this kind of nanny nanny economy where these corporations take care of us if we if we lose our password or something like that then we just call them up and they're like oh no problem i got you and this is a different paradigm i think there's a big paradigm shift in bearer assets so i i do think we're a ways away from it, but i think that there's you know i think there's schools that are being developed and, and different methods and um you know for one of these things i saw a uh, vault I, I don't know if you're familiar with this it's this idea that you can kind of spend to this um address that you know if if the the funds get taken out of it you can like unspend them kind of um within a certain period of time but little things like that and and, and little ways to to make this process easier is, yeah. is slowly happening but it i don't think it's there yet and i i don't think people certainly have wrapped their head around the idea that you know developing one of these protocols for how you're going to store your own coins requires like you know, it, it's kind of an individual process. Everybody has different um, trade-offs that they're willing to make, and everybody's a different kind of threat model that they need to take on. And 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 we don't do that as a society right today. We just stick it in the bank and all to debt. Yeah. Well, like like you said, it's the nanny mentality, you know. And so what we're up against here is not just like you know good UI and uh, you know well marketed or publicized. Uh, or distributed, you know, solutions for for the mainstream, you know, what, and, you know, I think a lot of people that are into Bitcoin, I mean, I haven't met a Bitcoiner that hasn't claimed that they, their their behavior has changed at least some degree since they've gone, you know, gone down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Most of them talk about a lower time preference. Most of them talk about more personal responsibility. Most of them talk about being more aware of privacy and security and that kind of stuff. And so 
what that represents is, you know, a pretty dramatic shift in perspective. And so I agree with you totally that we're not, it's not just like, oh, you know, the right product hasn't come out yet. It's like, no, part of this whole <laughs> thing is that we're asking people to make a pretty fundamental change. And that's to start taking responsibility for the things in their life that's most important to them. And we're starting with really the thing that's most important to them, which is their money. You know, people might claim there's other things most important, but I think majority of the time behavior would suggest people, you know, the, the, their money is the thing that's, that's most important to them. And we're asking them to have a total shift of mindset from going for one way, from one way of operating, which is, you know, someone else, someone stronger, bigger, safer will take care of my money. And if anything happens to it, I have whatever recourse uh, I have. And that's that's peace of mind enough versus taking all that responsibility on yourself. And like, I'm sure you can you would agree, like it's a bit scary, you know, like when you start having a, a decent portion of your savings in this stuff and you realize that like it is all dependent on you to, you know, whatever protocol that you adhere to, it's on you. And if you fuck up, it's like gone in a flash. There's no like, ah, who do I call now? Or I need to send an email or whatever. It's like, no, you like in the very second you made that mistake, you realize that it's gone. And that's the kind of dynamic that you're dealing with. So, you know, it does yeah. it does make me uh, a little bit more sympathetic to, you know, the, the bridge that needs to be crossed for people to come, you know, come to the Bitcoin side of things because it, it's not just like learning about a history about money and learning about, you know, the, the importance or the innovation of this technology. It's a change in worldview. And, you know, our worldview as a society or many people, from my perspective, at least, this is just my opinion, but, you know, so many things have been outsourced. And yes, this is probably because of the type of uh, money and the type of, you know, state and governance we've had for the last hundred years. But whether it's healthcare or whether it's uh, money or whether it's, you know, you could almost pick anything. People, you know, outsource the responsibility of managing it to someone that they think is either more competent at it or it's a safer, more secure option or whatever. But we've just been, we've, we've been trained or conditioned to, you know, for all the most important things in our life to kind of let somebody else, if not take care of it for us, dictate how we should go about doing it rather than educating ourselves and taking the responsibility upon ourselves to manage it for and by ourselves. And so that kind of a change, uh, you know, that's a tricky, that's a tricky thing to get on a large scale. I think it's happening, but you know, it's tricky. <laughs> well, it goes back to the education piece, right? Because, and, and you, you said that already, but, um, that's such a huge part of it. Cause let, let's say, you know, let's say we have gold as our money right now. And, and today I come along and I say, what if I develop this, the system and I call it federal reserve where the banks can't now have a bank run anymore. They never run out of money. It sounds like a great thing. Um, <laughs> but what if the result of that is that, you know, it destroys um, society and it, you know, puts people in massive amounts of debt and countries in massive amounts of debt and, and, and in corporations in massive amount of debt and, and through, through inflation, it, it, it robs away, you know your ability to save for the future at all um that that's bad uh and 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 while the thing sounded good in the first place um so i'm trying to look at the other side of it but if you bring it back to um, what, you know what we're talking about uh essentially that if 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 individual sovereignty is more viable today than it ever has been um and we'd like to seize that opportunity it's it's not 
a new product that comes out on the shelf that you go and buy. Right. It's something that we, we do have to actually actively season and, and take control of. And, and that is a little bit harder pill for people to swallow because they're, they're used to just going down to the store and, and getting, you know, product X and that's what's going to improve your life. Yeah. If, if this truly will improve our life, if we're right about some of these concepts, it's going to require a lot of work on people's part. Yeah. And, and, and some of this is just time, right? Sure. This idea of Lindy, um, and, and some of it's, you know, education. And sometimes education takes time to distill through society. Luckily, we have, you know, the Internet. It's the, the, the best way to share information that the human race has ever had uh, by orders of magnitude. Yeah. Um, so th- there's there's certainly hope for that to happen. Um, but it it is just something that that just needs to, you know, um, coalesce in society. And, and I think what, you, what you're doing with your pod is, is a huge part of that. Uh, I, I think it's just it's a slow, a slow march that we all have to. And, and you know the other thing I, I like is and the reason I, I started like talking to people and, and um, you know I was I was really appreciative that um, Heavily Armed Clown had me on his Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast because I, I had just reached out to him after one of his pods and he just said, hey at the, he, at the end of the pod he just said hey just reach out to me if you want to have a chat sometime, and he did and and I've I've been on a few other podcasts too but like. I'm not a developer. Uh, I, I don't work at a Bitcoin company. I just I just write about and talk about Bitcoin, and it's a conversation that we're having. And I, I think largely, yes, there is some some settled stuff. If you talk to Nick Zabo, he's he's probably like been waiting for the last ten years for people to catch up. And, <laughs> um, I I think there's some stuff that that is pretty well understood. But I think as a as a paradigm, as as Bitcoin emerging on the market and 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 possibly becoming the one global money. That, that has a lot of implications that I think we're still kind of trying to figure out. Even oh. the smartest people in the space that have been doing this for years are still kind of figuring new things out every day that are, are new um, implications of for this sure. technology. Simply existing. So I just wanted to be part of that conversation, and I appreciate you uh, letting me let me do that with you because <laughs> well, you seem like a really bright guy. Well, man, I appreciate you know the work you've done and you you joining me on this. I love these conversations, and you know that that gets at the point of of what we're doing is that we you know we no, no matter how long you've been involved in this, you you mentioned Zabo uh, or what your level of expertise is. I mean, and again, like I'm maybe I exaggerate sometimes, but to me it seems like. You know, we're just in the process now of all these people coming into the space from a different perspective, from a different angle, from a different background, uh, you know, honing in on a different aspect and then kind of, uh, you know, weaving together a narrative and then throwing it up in the space, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's on podcasts, whether that's in a direct conversation with somebody else. We're just narrative smashing right now. And we're seeing like Mm -hmm. which one's kind of you know, like throwing spaghetti at the wall, you know, which one kind of sticks and and seems legit, you know, like... uh, I had Brandon quit him on. payments, for example. Remember cheap but, payments? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 2014. It, it turns out that didn't stick. Right. And I don't know if it's the tech driving the narrative or the narrative driving the tech. Or, you know, maybe it's a bit of both and it's it's really hard to determine which it is. You know, that's actually, you know, a case in point, what you just brought up. But, you know, another one that, that I thought was interesting, I had Brandon, Brandon quit him on the other day and, uh, you know, making the analogy to mycelium. And it just causes people to go like, huh. That's interesting. And then, you know, then your mind just goes in a million different directions. And I feel like that's the process that we're in right now. We're just trying to be like this kind of alien thing has emerged that we all feel, you know, uh, is important. 
but we don't know exactly why. And we're, we're as we go along, we're kind of, we're gaining, you know, we're trying to gain the sufficient, like, um, like source material, like the stuff in, in that, that you put on your site to kind of, you know, give us some indication or some confidence or help us explain why we're getting the feeling that it's important. But it's still, like you said, it's still only, you know, we're kind of working f backwards rather than really having any ability to have much foresight with this, you know, beyond, you know, what the tech will look like in a year or two. But um, yeah, we don't, we don't know what this is. And I think that's that, that the process of, that's what we're doing here. But another thing that came to my mind when you were speaking just a second ago, is I think back to the kind of worldview change that may be required for for people to see this and really want to engage with it. I was just thinking the other day, like I feel like there's a one of the sentiments or attitudes that maybe pervades our times is I feel like there's a real profound uncertainty that a lot of people feel. And as a result, you know, I'm uncertain about how to manage my money, so I'm going to get somebody else to do it. I'm uncertain about how to manage my health, so I'm going to get somebody else to do it. I'm uncertain about the best way to eat, so I'm going to buy the, the 10 top-selling diet books at, at the bookstore. I'm uncertain about, I'm uncertain about, I'm certain about, and we, you know, we always look outside for answers. And I don't want to be like too new-agey, like all the answers are inside of you sort of thing, but I do think <laughs> we will, I think, well, I think one there are probably more answers inside of us than as that, that we generally think are there and that we, as a result, search for. But I do like, you know, the, the kind of the mirror that is Bitcoin that's either, you know, showing the mirror or shining the fat flashlight back on us. And the kind of implied uh, statement that it's making is like, if you want the most from me, you're going to like, it's your responsibility to see it and, and, and grab it. You know, like it's not it's not going to do it for you. It's not going to try to sell you. It's not like a multi-level marketer calling you up and it's not like your bank offering you, you know, rewards points or, or whatever. It's, you know, it's like I'm here. But if you're going to if you're going to be able to maximize the benefit to be derived from me, you're going to need to change. And I, you know, I think that's great. But like you said, I think it's a you know the information the way that information flows today will certainly accelerate it compared to you know maybe similar uh, revolutions of technological revolutions of the past but you know certain things can't be rushed and that that may be one of them yeah I, I often maybe this is a tangent but I, I, I always think about this what what did I look at? How did I view Bitcoin before I went down the rabbit hole? <laughs> and I, it, it seems like it would be something easy to remember, but for some reason, it's very fleeting for me. Because I recall vividly learning about it on Slashdot very early on. And I recall, like, in the years from then until 2017, seeing it on TV and being like, oh, yeah, look, the criminals use it or whatever. And it, I, I had this idea of it, but it's very difficult for me now because I, I view it as an alien life you know gg and brandon are describing <laughs> right and i i view it as a, a technological revolution i i view it as um uh a, a, a path to prosperity for the, the whole world right all these places that you know talking about um that 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 aren't doing as well as as places like like the u.s i i feel like it's, it's more of a flat system that that is going to propel society as a as a method of scaling 
um, as, a, as a method of allowing humans to organize on, on scales unfathomable and without central organization, um, that, that it's, you know, back to that price system thing where it's all of these individuals acting together um, for mutually beneficial exchange, right? That, that it will massively propel us forward. But uh, it, it, it's so hard for me to remember what I thought of it before. And I, I often think about that because, you know, I, I just saw Stop and Decrypt. He, he posted something on Twitter and he was like, have you been talking to no coiners about Bitcoin and how did it go? And, it, and I, I do that every once in a while. And, and more lately, instead of just trying to be like, hey, let me convince you about Bitcoin. Do you have like two hours to listen to Austrian economics and uh, monetary theory and monetary history? Uh, instead, I just try to ask them and probe them. And instead of being like, hey, do you want to hear about this? I'm like, well, what do you think about it? What is it? What is it to you? Mm. And I, I get interesting answers that are not as negative as you'd think. I think a lot of people are curious about it, but um, it, it's. I think it's taking us time, and I think it's taking us developing tools and resources for, for people to onboard more quickly. And I, I think it's undeniable that if you were trying to onboard in 2013 versus today, that there's a lot more um, ways to understand this thing that, that are much more succinct and much more approachable. And yeah. I think that will only continue. I agree. I agree. And I, I think that's, you know, that's the right approach. Um, just probing people. I mean, I asked someone the other day, just, you know, why do you think gold has value? You know, we were just having a conversation and, and they, they know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Bitcoiner. So I was like, I got a question for you. You know, why do you think the whole world, you know, why do we wear gold jewelry? Why does gold have value? And, you know, that's, that's an interesting conversation to have. Nothing to do with Bitcoin. But, you know, it, it, most people kind of scratch their head and they're like, um, I don't know. Like, I guess because we've always liked gold, right? And it's like, well, yeah, but it's not written in our DNA. There's got to be a reason, right? Um, so I, so I agree. I, um, but you know what I realized the other day? I was having a, a podcast with uh, a friend of mine from high school who recently launched his writing career, and he wanted me to come on and and have a chat with him on his podcast. And we were talking about you know psychedelics most of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. which was, you know, it's an area of, of keen interest for me also. Uh, but at the end, he was like, um, tell me about Bitcoin. And one, I was, a bit, I was a bit caught off guard. And two, it made me realize, as much as I have these conversations on the podcast, like, you know, it's, it's one thing to have a conversation with another Bitcoiner, right? Because you're just, you know, it's like you're playing ping pong. Like, you both, like, you're, you're speaking the same language, just back and forth right. and back and forth. But when I had to try to explain it, you know, from, you know, basically to a, a no-coiner. Um, a pre-coiner. Pre-coiner, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I realized how fucking terrible I was at it. Uh, you know, I listened, I, I, after I finished, I was like, dude, I'm sorry. That was, you know, that was not a very good articulation of, of the case for Bitcoin. Uh, and so that's another thing, you know, like I'm. I'm always wondering, like, well, how come more people aren't into this? It's like, well, how many people do you think get exposed to, like, a really good case for it? Because I'm, you know, what am I trying to say? Like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm... Well, Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is like psychedelics, right, where there's a specific subset of the population that um, is interested in these things. And because it's a small percentage of the society, that there's not an established um, cultural and global narrative around these things. 
you know, some people view psychedelics as the devil. Right. And some people view them as a, a tool to learn more about yourself. And, and like any tool, they have some downsides too. Like, you know, if you take too much in the wrong mindset, it, it might be a difficult time for you. Yeah. Um, I think Bitcoin is similar to that where, you know, to, to you, you understand things so well now and you've read all the source material that you, you realize that when you try to talk about it, you're referencing the, the, the narrative and, and, and these fundamental concepts that, that we, you know, as you and I are talking about it, it's easy for us to quickly reference, like jargon, right? The, yes. You know, the term of jar jargon is the, like yes. being able to distill complex topics into a, a single, you know, syllable word maybe so that I can string multiple of the ones together. And I can, in one quick sentence, explain Bitcoin to you. But to explain it to a pre-corner, it, it requires referencing all these things. And because those aren't, you know, well understood among among that that larger part of our culture, it, it becomes more difficult because you're like, oh, hold on. I have to go back and explain what 1971, what the relevance of that is. And then I have to go back and explain, you know, the medium, medium exchange and store value and all, all these different things. And it, it, it you end up tripping over yourself. Exactly. Uh, yes. Thank you. That's what I was trying yeah. to articulate a second ago. <laughs> That's exactly what I was trying to say. But yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. you don't know where to anchor in your, your, you know, the case you're about to make. Like, you don't know where to start on that. Like, do I just go right down to like, start at what is money and all the way up? Because that's going to be a, a bit of a mind bending and long conversation. Um, so well, let me interrupt, to interrupt yeah, you for a second, because Brandon Quinnum himself, I was DMing him with him the other day. And he was talking about, oh, I have this idea. And we were back and forth a little bit. And he referenced me in one of one of the tweets. But it was a whole thread about, you know, what we should do as Bitcoiners right now is write a um, guide to Bitcoin for different, you know, because we have different, yeah. even within our major culture, we have different minor cultures like millennials. We, we discussed that on, on the podcast. And, yeah. yeah, you did. And, yeah. and so, like, that's what has yet to be written is the millennials guide to bitcoin and the the environmentalist guide to bitcoin and the vegans guide to bitcoin because we've scared them all off of their <laughs> uh, let's accept everybody and let's show them all different ways to understand this thing and and uh, I, I i just love that thread and i'm i'm planning on trying to tackle one of the one or two of those at some point or maybe even do like um an overview just like write an entire thing and say here are all the criticisms of bitcoin here are all the answers or here are all the different perspectives you could look at it from and I think that there, a lot of that information's out there. It doesn't it isn't organized that way right now. Yeah, totally. I, I love that because you're right. A lot of the information is just kind of you know more or less objective. Like this is what it is. But if 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 the assertion earlier was right that this is a you know more than an adoption of tech, it's a change in worldview. Then you've got to kind of communicate on the on the plane of that individual's worldview, which is predicated very much on other you know characteristics of their personality, like you know their diet or you know their their demographic or their religion or whatever. You know, like Bitcoin for Jews. I don't know. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, and there's a, and there's a guy that does that. By the way. <laughs> right, right. Rabbi. Rabbi. Right? And yeah. you know, for for me. Um, it's it's tough because I, I say this, but I believe in order to really understand Bitcoin, you, you need to dig into the Austrian economics because that was when I went from being like an Andreas Antonopoulos kind of guy, like, oh, this is, you know, be your own bank and um, borderless payments and, and that's the future. When I, do when I dove into Austrian economics, and, and I, I still have a lot to read and I still have a lot to learn, it, it, it was a fundamental shift for me that now it's like, Oh, I understand how this inserts itself into markets and, and what the implications of that are. I, I think in a much better way. Mm -hmm. So I really recommend if, if folks are listening to this, 
and they 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 feel like they they get that there's something about Bitcoin, but they don't quite you know fully integrate why it's so important from an economic perspective. Really dig into the you know the Rothbard and the and the Hayek and the Mises and the Henry Hazlitts and this it's so worth it. it it's it's an investment of time, uh, and and some of these books are very long. But they're, they're also illuminating about how the world works, I, I think, and, and they illuminate so many of the, the misconceptions about how we think the world works based on our current paradigms. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. But, you know, kind of a, an unpopular opinion, I guess, that I've been mulling over lately is just, you know, we, if we rewind 30 seconds to what we were saying, like there's some, pe- <laughs> there's some people. They're never, ever, ever going to read Hayek. Like, I'm thinking about them right now. I won't name names because I don't want to be a dick. But, um, you know, it's just not going to happen. They're, they're, they're not on that level. But I don't think that excludes them from seeing the value in Bitcoin. Because like we were saying, you know, 10 minutes ago, right. Bitcoin, we don't even know what it is. It's seeming like it's a lot, a lot of different things. And we're smashing together these narratives right now. But it's certainly, I mean, obviously, the, the Austrian sort of, you know, if you're on that frequency, then it, it resonates. But certainly, you know, maybe uh, another frequency based on another narrative resonates with uh, another demographic or another ind- type of individual. So I know there's lots made of, of the Austrian thing with Bitcoin. And, you know, I think it's valid and it's interesting. And uh, it's certainly if you're that way inclined to read that type of material and you have the curiosity and, the you know, then it's like it, maybe it's a fast track. Maybe it's a shortcut to like really getting some of the major components of it. But um you know, I don't. I actually, I don't think it's necessary. I think you could see the value in Bitcoin, absent you know, having read Austrian economics. That's very true. And value is subjective, by the way. And and by the way, the users of Bitcoin today are users that have very different perspectives and very different uses for it. Like some people literally do use it for cross-border payments. Right. And and that may not be fundamentally revolutionary for society. But some people in Venezuela use it to store their value. As a, I mean, instead of a U.S. dollar, where they have to go down to a guy on the street to buy it, they use it because they can online. It's very difficult to stop them from acquiring some and, and and using as a way to store their value. And and people in you know more developed countries are are maybe using it as a as a savings technology, as Pierre Richard says. So even today, the, the people that don't you know people in Venezuela not, might not necessarily be reading all these Austrian economics uh, texts. They're still using it, and they see a value proposition, a subjective value proposition, mm-hmm. and in, in helping people understand that there are these different value propositions, and, and how to how to understand how that how it might help them, uh, is a is 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 a complex task, but yeah. I, I think we're working on it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I agree, and I think it's actually kind of fun because you know if if you can align with something that you believe so strongly in the potential of, obviously there's no future is certain, but if you believe it has the potential to to assume kind of the role that we've been discussing here then it's real easy to uh you know to it it makes it a lot easier to try to dig within yourself to kind of figure out like in what manner do you communicate what like uh, where do you on what like what kind of people do you resonate the most with and what style of communication are you most effective at kind of breaking through to and then you know you know tweaking that a little bit so that it, you're maybe reaching a broader audience or you're tweaking the message, you know, one of you mentioned Andreas and, you know, I think most, <laughs> most of us, you know, were influenced by him, you know, in the early days and maybe even still. And, you know, I think he gets, no, a, we hate him now, John. I know, I know, I know. 
I, I think, you know, for most people, regardless of, you know, any minor infractions these days, or maybe major, depending on your, your, your position, but he probably gets a pass for, for you know, just being an early torchbearer and bringing so many people into the space. But, you know, one of the things that I kind of envy about him is that because he's been, you know, speaking publicly about this for so long, and obviously, you know, he, he believed in it, he's a huge advocate, um, you know, he, that, he, I envy the kind of uh, the process of him throwing himself out there in front of people, talking about this completely foreign, alien thing, and yeah. learning himself how to interact with the people he's speaking with, how to change or, you know, uh, you know, tweak his style of delivery, how he speaks, tone, words, blah, 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 to try to get this through to more people. Um, I just, you know, I think that's a that's a really cool thing that we're probably all dealing with in our own little way, especially, you know, content creators in the space. And he's, you know, he's just the biggest exemplar of that, but, uh, it's fun, man. I mean, I've spoken about this with a lot of the hardcore Bitcoiners, uh, recently, uh, you mentioned Gigi, you know, him, him being definitely among them, but it's, it's, it's when you find that thing that you can, like you feel is worthy of your energy and your attention and your commitment and your dedication and your hard work. It makes it so much better easier so much more fun you know because prior to that if you're working some you know job that you don't like even if it even pays you well but you're still just like ah you know like what am i sure I'm, I'm getting a paycheck but i don't really i don't believe in this thing i don't really enjoy this i, I don't really see a you know a, i can't see down the road and think wow there's something really great going to come from this and I think we go if we go back way back to the earlier part of the conversation talking about hope and and that sort of thing. I think, you know, having something like this that, you know, people see hope in and see that it's, it's worth their contribution. And now, you know, everyone's just kind of figuring out what their contribution is, is going to be. And I think that's pretty awesome. And, and, and I just, you said a lot of stuff there, but just very briefly, uh, very briefly, uh, if you have a criticism of Andreas, that's totally fine. I, I'm more like you. I have a lot of respect for what he has done for the space, and uh, I, I don't. I don't think people. I, I try not to idolize people. You know, if you pick some of these really hardcore Bitcoiners, they might say a thing or two that you know I don't necessarily disagree with, and it's going to take a lot more for me to unfollow them completely and, and outcast them for society. Mm -hmm. And and how we do that is important too. Um, you know, people like Roger Ver. It, it it's it's difficult for us to say that he's helping the space at this point. Uh, and maybe he did do some help for it at some point. So that's obviously that's a line you have to draw. But I I think that, you know, humans are fallible and, and that this thing is difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ways to understand it. And and that's okay that, that you know, we follow people on Twitter, right? We don't follow um, centralized organizations of, of, of how information comes down. We follow different people and people need to assimilate information for themselves and, and draw their own conclusions and, and and not idolize people and put them on a pedestal and i i have no problem listening to andreas antonopoulos if, if one out of ten things he says is, is not something i agree with that's right. totally fine with me. Right. and so i'm with you on that for sure yeah and so i mean if we bring it back down to uh more relevant actors i mean beside the website i mean is this something you're, are you working in the space full time, or is this just kind of uh, extracurricular for you? Or 
It's very extracurricular for me. I'd love to break more into the space, and I've been trying to get writing. Um, I, I want to write a little bit more long form. Yeah, I, I, I do some Twitter threads here and there. Um, I did a big one about inflation. Um, so if you if you go to my my profile, you can see a bunch of that stuff just pinned right to the top. There is a whole meta thread of all the different threads if you want to see some of my my writings there. Um, but I've been trying to write more long form, and recently it's been difficult because uh, I see a lot of these. Uh, these amazing writers like like Gigi, um, like uh, Parker Lewis is just absolutely destroying right now. Um, all the and uh, all the unchained guys, James O'Byrne had an incredible piece recently that they're talking about some of the same ideas I wanted to write about, but they all articulated them far better than I could have. So I'm a little bit taken aback and, and trying to find a way. So I I think I'm going to go head over to Brandon um, Quidham's thread and and try to find w- one of the, uh, <sighs> the the more the simpler ways to kind of approach this. And I, I think that might be a good thing, but I, I'm not sure what, I guess my answer is I'm not sure what I'm doing for the space right now. I, I'm just still having a conversation a little bit right now. Yeah. Well, look, man, I mean, obviously I'm not here to tell you what to do, but based on the conversation <laughs> that we just had, it's like, and it don't, don't get me wrong. I get it, man. I mean, there's a fucking million podcasters out there, right? So why would I think that anybody yeah. would give a fuck that anything I have to say? And, Fair play if they don't. I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to convince anybody. But, you know, one of the, the things that gives me solace, I guess, is despite, you know, all the great people doing stuff, I know that there's, even if only small, variances in our perspective. And the variances in our perspective is the difference between us communicating with one person and not communicating with another. So, you know, mm-hmm. Nick Carter might communicate with, you know, 10,000 people that think like Nick or that, you know, that resonate with mm-hmm. the way he speaks and the examples he uses and the, the narrative that he, that he weaves. But there's probably another group of people that would respond more positively to, you know, someone making the same sort of case but saying it in a bit of a different way and coming at it from a bit of a different perspective so you know again i hate i hate to give unsolicited advice but i would just say like you know fucking do it you know if 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 if, if it feels like you got something to say throw it down on on paper and put it out there and i i wouldn't be too concerned with you know the other people and how you think you stack up to them because that's not for you to determine that's for you know the the market to determine actually so and I, i'm and i'm trying uh, i think twitter is a great medium because it's it's not so it doesn't have to be like perfect so to speak it doesn't have to be this you know perfectly formatted and all this you can be a little bit more um fluid in in getting ideas out there and, and i i think i'm still trying to understand what this decentralized fungal network um slash you know money system is and uh, I think the converse, the conversations I have with people like you um, make it make it easier for me to understand it. So um, I'll keep I'll keep writing and I'll, I'll keep thinking and, and I'll keep having conversations. Reach out to me anytime if you want to have a chat. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure I'll take you up on that. But did I did I did I notice you seem to uh, you seem to head nod and agree when I when I brought up the psychedelic thing? Am I speaking with a fellow psychonaut here? Uh, I've 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 taken a a psychonautical trip before okay. um, for sure, uh, and I I I don't have as uh, I think clear articulations as <laughs> as you and Brandon did one, I, but I really enjoyed your 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 discussion of oh, it. Thanks, um, man. I, I I what I really liked about the way you guys talked about it is 
and I think I was talking to Brandon about it, and he had a slightly different perspective, but that you said that there's these these rituals surrounding it. And <clears throat> I'm probably in, more in, in between the two of you where, see, I, I view you know um, psychedelics as a tool, just like I view Bitcoin as a tool. And I think that it's very it's very simple to understand that tools can be good and bad, right? That tools have positives and negatives. There's, totally. there's this idea of the double double-edged sword, right? That a sword is a, is a very powerful tool that has been used for both good and evil. And that psychedelics are something to be respected, you know, and it's not 100%, something that I do a lot. 100%. Yeah, I don't do a lot of them today, but I did when I was a, uh, was younger and I was doing them. It's funny because I was doing them more recreationally, but I did a lot of learning about them before I started using them. And the one <clears throat> one thing that I got from them that was, was very clear is that they should be respected as as being powerful um, things and whether or not you want to call them a tool is fine and what if you want to use them for recreation that's fine too but um i think you would be a little bit more farther on the spectrum of you know maybe try to understand why there's some of these rituals about it and and why they're so well respected and that they do have powerful effects and if you're going to take one of these journeys that um that you might uh it might behoove yourself to kind of prepare yourself for that journey just as you do any other journey right <clears throat> or experience Exactly. Yeah. And the reason why the reason why I asked, actually, I wasn't, wasn't trying to out you or anything like that. But I was uh, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, one, I, I always I can't help but make the comparison about something that's so, you know, has has the potential, as you say, has potential, you know, can be bad or good, but has such potential upside that is kind of still under the radar in many cases. And I, I, yeah. I compare Bitcoin and psychedelics. I put them in that in a similar category in that regard. But I was actually thinking about it in terms of the, the communication piece, you know, like that's another, you know, demo of, of people that, that uh, engage in a certain behavior because they or activities because they see value in it and they know they have to be responsible with it and they have to be prepared and stuff like that. And so I, I didn't mean to, you know, I didn't mean to break into a big thing about it. Um, but just to say that, you know, I think there's so much room for uh, more and more and more perspectives on how to approach and engage this thing that my, you know, like if anybody ever comes up to me, it's like, I'm, you know, I love Bitcoin. I'm thinking about, I don't know, writing about it or podcast. I'm just like, do it now. Like, start now. <laughs> like, don't even think about it. Like, write something down in the next 30 minutes and publish it. Like, you know, because and also that's the only way to know you know, and how you feel about something when you put it out there. And, you know, there's something yeah. that there's something that feels if you if you put out a piece of a, a expression, let's say, in the digital realm. So uh, an article, a tweet, a podcast, a video, you put it out and you can tell that, like, it wasn't really a genuine expression. Like maybe you were trying a bit too hard to sound a certain way, be a certain way. That's going to feel so icky that you're going to be like, oh, fuck, I got to next time I got to try something different because that wasn't it, you know. And so I think that's the, the big benefit of, you know, I used to do a lot of writing um, by myself, you know, just in not diary, you know, I'd write on my computer and just keep it for my own archives and stuff and haven't really published much of it. Um, but with, you know, with these interviews that I've done on YouTube and, and in the podcast, you know, part of them, because I, you know, I'd be just as happy to have them and keep them on my, for my own personal archives. But part of the reason I put them out there is because, like, it, there is a pretty substantial personal development piece when you start expressing yourself in a public forum. Because, you know, unless, 
I just think it, it kind of forces you to really, tr over time, as you do it, get better at, at understanding like what expression really is your genuine expression. And then you put it out into the mirror of the public, let's say, and yes, you get feedback, but more importantly, you're able to kind of look at it outside of yourself and say like, oh, that, that ain't me. Like, why did I say, say that? Or why did I do that? And the process of that, you know, back and forth and back and forth, I think is like hugely beneficial. And, uh, you know, you can't rush it and you can't have too many, uh, uh, you know, it's like you have a, if you have a big goal attached to that, that may, may kind of pervert that process. So I think, you know, to do it in its purest form, you just, you do it because it's something that, that you love and you, you express that aspect of yourself through that and then you see what happens. So I see that happening a lot in this space now, which is one of the encouraging aspects about it. You get all these people that are just confronting this thing, you know, genuinely and sincerely. And that's such a breath of fresh air, man. Like, I've, you know, I've been in various work capacities before. And, you know, you meet people that are fake and you meet people that are driven by, you know, too much greed and you meet people that are corrupt and you meet all sorts of people. And it's really, really refreshing and, and nice to... Now, obviously, you know, I'm generalizing, but in general, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an industry that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that feel, I guess, free to be themselves and they're you know, being sincere and they're approaching this, uh, with, uh, you know, in, in a genuine way. And that's, I think that's one of the things that draws me to it too. And, and probably others as well, you know, just people, and that people might interpret that as toxicity sometimes too, because, you know, part of being genuine is being ruthlessly honest. And, you know, there's certainly an abundance of that, especially if you want to fuck around on Bitcoin Twitter, but you know, there's something beautiful about that too. Yeah. And I, I like Twitter, like I said, cause it's a little bit more informal. And when I write something on Twitter, I fully expect, you know, 30 people to come by and tell me why I'm wrong. And, and, <laughs> And, and and then I like I like when that happens because I can either find out that I might have been wrong in some way or I can maybe reinforce my own ideas. If you watch somebody like you know you're talking about being genuine, somebody like Pierre Richard, <clears throat> when he deletes his tweets, he'll screenshot it first and then he'll delete it and then he'll post with the screenshot and say, "I've kind of changed my position on this thing and this is why," and he'll explain it. And and that's that's real honesty yeah. and that's real um, growth and. And I think that also demonstrates if somebody like Pierre Richard is, is willing to, you know, do something like that, that, that he's being honest, but also that, that we are still kind of trying to learn about this thing and, and, and all of these different implications too. Uh, and it's funny because you were talking about writing something and then kind of taking a step back and not being sure it's, it's what you believe. And I, I had actually written a blog when I first started getting into this and I wrote 10 or 11 posts on it. And I think there's some good stuff in there, but there's some stuff in there that I wouldn't um, necessarily say today, like there's some, you know, I mentioned a, a shitcoin here or there, which I would uh, maybe update or amend <laughs> in some way. Um, I I think that my my understanding is better now, but it's funny if I went back and wrote that, I I, I feel like I'm having writer's block. Before I was just typing, typing, and I was, I think the reason I was doing it is for that reason that you were saying is that in order to organize and, and get your own thoughts, yeah, like, yeah, uh, I, understand something. Yeah, it's. Um... You know, I, I'm on this kick, or have been for the last maybe two or three years, and this is probably why I've you know started creating content. But and I this I have no good way of articulating this right now. But I just like the the thing that keeps repeating in my head is like it's expression is important. 
Like it's important to, and I've, I've never been like an expressive person, like not artistically, not musically, you know, sports, <laughs> sports have been my thing for, for most of my life. Uh, and that's, that's it. So like, there's not much of a creative bone in my body, but you know, there's obviously other ways of expressing yourself. And I, I, I really should probably write about this topic in particular because it does fascinate me tremendously. But uh, anyways, the mantra that I just kind of keep hearing in the back of my mind is that, you know, like expression and, you know, genuine expression is good. And it implies that you have to continue digging to understand yourself more so that you can transmute that understanding into an expression. So it's kind of not only is it the expression for the sake of it, but it's because it implies that, you know, kind of that never ending process of trying to understand yourself more. I love that. That's awesome, man. <laughs> um, well, Ben, I, uh, we've been chatting for like an uh, hour and 25 minutes now. I don't, usually I do the rapid fire portion here, but I, I think I might be cutting into your morning now. What's, what's your, what do you like on time? Uh, if you want to do it real quick, I, I have time. Okay, cool. I'll just hit into it and you can, uh, however long for, you know, you want to answer up to you. What's up guys. That's the end of the further discussion portion of my conversation with Ben. The rapid fire episode is out now also. So if you want to hear more from Ben, be sure to check that out. See ya.